Thanks for checking out the Airborne Youth Podcast. This week you'll be hearing a teaching from Ben Evenson. We're going to be wrapping up our summer theme tonight on this whole going my way deal that we've been talking about all summer long. And we've had all kinds of great stuff. How about a couple weeks ago with Robert Battle? Do you remember Robert? What in the world? And afterwards I was talking to him and he's like, oh man, I totally forgot to say this part, you know. And I, and I was like, what part? And he goes, he goes, well, he wanted everyone here to know, and I said, I'll make sure to tell him that his mother, is it his mother and his stepdad, who were both like super, both came to know the Lord. Oh, thank you. I'll use that one too, probably. Both came to know the Lord in the whole end of the story. Like they were like his stepdad was the drug dealer dude, and I think all that, right? If I'm like, Yeah. They both ended up coming to know the Lord because of Robert's, like, transformation and his whole life. So there was even more to the story. There's way more to the story. So if you ever see Robert and you have a couple minutes, be like, Robert, I know there's more details you didn't share. Come on, give me the nitty-gritty, okay? Because there are. There, and I will leave it at that, and you guys can go search it out if you see Robert anywhere. And we'll try. I think he's planning to go to the beach trip again with us this year. So, Yes. Which, hey, just so you know, the beach trip is booked already. We've got our dates locked in, and things are going to shift a little bit, but we're probably going to head to the beach earlier in the day, the first day. And, oh, yeah, we're going to change some things. It is going to be a Friday to Monday again, so that's going to be good. But, listen, this is important. It's going to be like two weeks later in June than normal. So it's going to be June 23rd to 26th this year. So that's a big deal for the beach trip. So plan your calendars already. I know you guys are already looking forward to summer. Am I right? Come on. Stop. Summer. Just skip to 10th. It's way, way cool anyway. All right. So here's the deal. Guys, shh, up here. So we want to wrap up this whole thing, and I, was, I think it's really cool that they did that last song tonight because I've been, like, back in reading Genesis recently myself. Like, this is kind of like, you got like, the beginning, right? Yeah? It's when baseball was first mentioned in the Bible. Do you remember that? In the beginning. In the beginning. Anyway, right? Ah, that's terrible. Thank you so much. But no, Listen. I've been back in Genesis, kind of going back over, and like I've grown up in church my whole sticking life, and I've read Genesis like a gazillion, a Brazilian times, right, Kevin? Right? I didn't share that joke with this crowd, did you? Oh, dude, I already spoiled it kind of though. We'll say it. Here we go. Okay, there's this blonde, no offense. Blonde is not a hair color. It's a state of mind. So just because you got brown hair, you are not exempt from blondness, all right? Here's the deal. Now, I know it. I've said it a number of times. Listen, a blonde is sitting watching the evening news one night, and the anchor comes on and says, two Brazilian men are dead. And she instantly begins to, oh, she begins to weep and cry. That is so horrible. How many is a Brazilian? Did you get that right? Yeah? It's like a Brazilian men. Anyway. Two Brazilian for the for the blondes. Let's go slow. All right, we'll recap that anyway. So, I've read through Genesis so many times in my life, and you get all the details, right? Shh, right? 
listen, shh, there's this, ra- this amazing fascination, and I feel like every time, shh, someone talks about the Bible and creation and all this stuff, I get new perspectives of how this all worked. Like, I used to think, like, okay, it says in the beginning the earth was formless and, without, and, and void, and there was, like, nothing, and then it said God created. It's in the first verse, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, Right? But then right after that, it says, and the earth was, fo- was void and formless, and there was nothing, like, happening. So it's kind of like, hold on, but God created the heavens and the earth, but then he didn't because it's all formless. No, he actually had already created all that was essential in a moment. In the beginning, God created all that was essential for all of creation to exist, for all of the rest of our existence. Does this make sense? Then, on day one, he separated the light from the darkness. Isn't that cool? Right? And we got this day, and we got nighttime, and then he goes, like, let's do some stars. Like, But out of what he had already created, because in the beginning he created the heavens and the earth, and it was all this just, let's call it a blank canvas with all kinds of paint on it, and he began to take the parts and particles and the atoms and the cells and all this stuff, and he began to... And he, like, made stars and light and boom, and then the waters and then the land and then animals and fish. And it's really cool, right? Like, you picture this thing, it's like, it's not like, let there be light. You know, I think it was this, like, I picture God, like, doing this whole, like, dance thing. Like, Like, I think he's way more creative than, like, you know, like, it's so lame. Anyway. So this all happens, and God does all this really cool stuff, creates this whole thing, and then, then, he goes into this whole verse that you've heard a million times before, a Brazilian times before. Then God, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. Okay? God created man. And then we get the account that God formed man. It's kind of like, this is like the more detailed. It kind of like goes back and says, okay, but this is how he created man in his own image. But I think there was still this spirit thing in this moment where he created man in his image, but then he formed him, just like he did everything else. He created, in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. Then, on day one, he made. On day two, he made. On day three, he made. And on day six, he created man in his image. And then he formed him out of the dust of the ground. Does that make sense? There's two things that occur here. And it's really cool because God set this apart from everything else because it says in another part here, I won't read it all, it says he formed all the creatures out of the dust of the ground too. Did you know that? How about that? He didn't just like... No, he like got down in the dirt, and it says, and God formed all the animals. But what is the single difference between human beings and animals in the way God formed us? We're smarter. No, it's the song we just sang. It's the breath, and God breathed into his nostrils, and man became a living being. He just formed the animals and said, go, go. Go And then, this was the cool thing as I was, and a lot of this I've known for a while, you know, like I've heard this and heard this and different angles and parts of this. This I don't think I have ever heard before until I was reading it this week. And it it says in uh, verse 19, now the Lord God had formed, oh, right here, 
out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. It said right there. And then he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. I knew that Adam had named all the animals, right? But I had never read this part where he said he brought all the animals to Adam to see what he'd do. God was in this fascinated state of not knowing on purpose. Is God all-knowing? Absolutely. Does God have the ability in his great power, because he's also all-powerful, to decide not to know something for the purpose of your discovery and his? Because we're made in his image, and he's fascinated by discovering new things. How many of you are fascinated by discovering cool new things? I lived in the forest when I was a kid, and guess what my favorite thing in the whole wide world was to do? Explore! Why? I would go, like, no more than 100 yards from my house, and I was an explorer. Like, it's like for crying out loud, the the Native Americans had already explored. I wasn't getting anywhere new, okay? My dad had already been everywhere that I was going. What was so great about it? I was discovering. Does that make sense? And God is excited about your process of discovering And we see that because you're made in his image, in his likeness. He gets excited when you discover because he's excited to discover you. Does that make sense? And we see this all the way throughout Scripture, right after after Adam and Eve sinned, right? God came walking through the garden, and what did he he ask? What, What was his question? Where are you? He's God. Of course he knows where they are, right? Are you kidding me? He's all-knowing. So why is God saying, where are you? Because God is a God of pursuing and discovering, and we are made just like him. Do you get this? So he chose, okay? And there's another part in the New Testament when Jesus is talking, if you don't believe it yet, right, where he says, there will be people that will come to me and say, we cast out demons in your name, and we did miracles in your name, and we did this, and we did this. And Jesus will say, away from me, I never knew you. Well, how can God never know somebody? Because he somehow in his amazing uh, sovereignty, um, like, I don't get it. And I don't need to get it because it's actually cooler to not know it all. Do you get that? And I think God is, feels the same way. He's kind of like, yes, I could know it all, but I'm choosing to like walk this discovery out with you. So we hear these things that, that people say all the time, God's in control, right? We've got a big election coming up. I can't believe how many times I've heard people just say, well, God's in control. Well, guess what? You get to vote if you're 18, right? You get to vote. You get to have a voice. If you just go like, well, God's in control, guess who's saying that? all of God's people. And if all they do is say God's in control, they don't go to the polls, guess who wins? I'm not, don't say any names, okay? I'm just saying, (laughs) I didn't say anything. You don't know what I'm for, all right? Listen, do you get how this works? That's just a tiny little microcosm of this, like, but listen, it's just relevant right now because of the whole craziness of the campaign, right? People are just going, well, God's in control, so it doesn't really matter what I do. Wrong. God put you on earth 
to rule and to reign and to take dominion and to be in charge. Does God have it all figured out? Yes, well, yes. But the steps from here to there are not completely decided. You get to do that. Because God gave you authority to make decisions in your life. We see Jonah a little while later in the Bible, right? Jonah, God said, go to Nineveh, right? Tell these people they're being really bad, and I'm going to destroy them if not. Now listen, that the cross changed things, so like God is not doing that anymore. You hear me? Okay. But here's the deal. He says to Jonah, go tell them, right? Jonah did what? Shh, guys, back there. Shh. Okay. Jonah did what? He ran from God, cause why? But what? But at the root of it, if God's got it all planned out, figured out, why did he run away? What? No. Because God let him choose. Plain and simple. God allowed him. Then what happens? He runs. He gets thrown overboard in the storm, right? Big fish comes and swallows him. This was another moment, like with Adam, I think, where God was like, see what he does with this. Okay? Crazy? You're kind of like, God, this is not right. You could just, like, scoop him up and set him down in Nineveh and be done with it. But God is a God of allowing you to steer your ship. He is not a puppet master. He's not going, but he will create lots of opportunities for you to decide. You get to make the wrong decision every single time if you choose. Totally on, on you. And Jonah could have gotten swallowed by a fish, and I don't know how I would have handled it, but I would have thought, like, at that point, that's it. It's over. I'm depressed now. I am alone. I am in a fish. Right? He had a choice. And God, I could see God's eyes staring down at Jonah going, come on, Jonah. Come on, like a dad on the sideline when his son's up, right? Bottom of the ninth, two outs, two strikes. His kid's at bat. Dad's standing there going, come on, Jonah. Last chance, right? Because God believes in his kids. That's what he did in creation. He put all the animals in front of Adam and just sat back and went, what's he going to call them? Ah! Because God put his breath in our lungs. Shh. Stay with me. God put his breath in our lungs so that we speak the authority of heaven every single place we go. We get to carry authority or lay it down. It's really easy in our culture to just lay it down because it's way easier to just track with what's going on around us. But God called us to something more. Most of the world is just going with what feels good at the moment. They know it's wrong. There is no question. People know that wrong decisions bring destruction on their life, but they don't see anybody standing up and doing it any different, so they go about their way because they're terrified to be the first one to do it different. The whole culture is like zombie land, right? People accuse the church of being zombie land, but give me a break. And some of them are, gosh. Some, I, but anyway, well, I'm serious. If, if you get into being in a relationship with God simply because you're supposed to, you're losing. You are losing because you 
give up the authority to be in relationship with God when you don't take the authority and the initiative to be in relationship with God. Does that make sense? You can do church. I don't care how many times you go to church. It doesn't make you better to go to church. It makes you better to be closer to God. There's something about being in church that can help that. But if you're not here for that, I don't know what you're getting. They say this really old thing, you know, like going into church makes you a Christian. Like going into a garage makes you a car. Right? How long could you hang out in your garage before you would turn into a car? Um, Negative. It's impossible. But we logically go, I'm a Christian because I go to church. That's stupid. Can I really, like, be honest with you? You have been given the a power to choose. Some of you younger ones, your parents drag you here and you have no say in it and you need to honor them. I get it. But how about, how about taking authority and saying, no, Mom, Dad, you're not making me go to church because I'm going because I want to. Right? Eat that, Mom. I'm going to church when you aren't. I'm going to walk there when you're sick because I want to go to church. I know, right? That's cool, right? Listen. Shh. Listen. There is such a great reality in this thing that God is watching, right? I know this story of David in 2 Samuel does the same thing. He's the king, right? He was a shepherd boy, killed Goliath, ended up being king eventually. He was like made king. He's living in a palace. Pretty good deal. But he really loved God. He was really into God. He's the one that brought the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence resided before Jesus came and sent the Holy Spirit. It was that older way of things where God existed there as a symbol of the residing presence of God that's now in every believer. It's really cool. But that was the only place God's presence was, was this box. And David had such an honor for that box He risked everything, changed the whole system just to get it back into Jerusalem because he's like, I'm king. I want the presence of God in my kingdom. Right? And he was so big on this that he went before God and said, God, I live in a really nice palace, and that's not right because you don't have a house. I'm going to build a palace for you, a temple. And God sent through the prophet Nathan this whole message, said, well, actually, David, that's not for you to do. Your son is going to do that. Because I don't really need a house. I get where your heart is. That's totally cool. But I don't need a house. But guess what? Your son is going to get to do that. Well, what did David do? Like, never mind. Screw it, God. I'm out. No, guess what David did for the next rest of... He didn't even have a kid yet. Do you get this? But he's like, I'm going to build a temple for God because God needs a good house. So since God told him he wasn't going to build a house, what did David do for the next, I don't know, 60, 80 years, whatever, till his son took over the throne? What? Do you know? He did. He saved up building materials, construction, money, everything. He identified craftsmen. He had, so he had this, his kingdom was built like this whole like stockpile of massive stuff. Do you remember who David's son was? What? Solomon. Built Solomon's temple, which was to this date the most expensive structure ever built by human hands. Still to this date. Nothing in Vegas, nothing in New York compares in the value of Solomon's temple today. David didn't build it, but guess what? He determined in his heart to honor the presence of God in such a way that he's like, God, 
I get, okay, I'm going to listen, but I'm going to honor you with everything inside me, and I'm going to set up my son to make you a really good house. Do you see the heart in that guy that was like, it isn't even about me. I don't need to be the guy with my name on it. It's not called David's saved up temple. It's called Solomon's temple. David laid all the foundation for it. And Solomon walked in and said, sweet, thanks, Dad. Solomon's temple. I know, it's kind of like a raw deal, but David did not care. Why? What was David known as? He was a man after God's own heart. All he cared about was the heart of God. And it made him a great ruler. It made him a great king. He made some mistakes, but guess what? God redeemed that even. He made some really big mistakes, okay? But still, after all the mistakes, before the residing presence of the Holy Spirit inside people, God redeemed even David, the screw-up, because his heart was actually given to God. You can make mistakes while having your heart after God. How crazy is that? And still be after God with your life. So that whole shame thing that sinks in and makes you feel like, oh, you screwed up. God doesn't want you anymore. We've all felt it. I did something wrong, and now I must have to earn my way back to God, right? The devil loves that game. Hello? That's not God's call on your life. To sit back in shame and wait. He says, get off your butt, as Andrew Shearman would say it in language that's probably allowed in England or Scotland, right? Anyway, right, Steve? No. Anyway, get off your butt and get moving. Stop wallowing in your shame and your, oh, I just, like, stop it. Choose to follow me. Choose to pursue me. This is the call on every one of your lives. God wants to see your life discovered day in and day out, Yes, he knows you, but there's parts of you he doesn't know until you show it to him. Does that make sense? God wants to know your heart, but he's kind of like choosing. He could know it all, but because he's God and he's relational, he's like, this is way more fun to discover. And I would say this is the great mystery for every one of you to like date somebody, get married, and not know every single thing about them the day you meet them. How lame would relationship be if there was no discovery? God wired you in his image to be a pursuer, a discoverer. He's looking at your life going, what are we going to do today? And because he's chosen to, he doesn't know. So he's walking with you along that path when you invite him. Do you follow what I'm, where I'm going with this? And there's such power and coolness in that reality. And God is not standing guard next to you, testing you, and going like, oh, oh, He's kind of going like, let's go. Come on. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Right? I picture my little, my little guys, right? My, my children, right? As they grow, my, I know, my little guys. Tyler's not so little anymore. He's huge. Anyway, he's going to beat me up soon. But like, Seriously, I have Maisley, who's one. Oh, my gosh, is she adorable, right? And I got Chandler's five, Carter's seven, Tyler's 11. Not so little anymore. Tyler's 11, okay? I'm not, I don't want to embarrass him. Anyway, but here's the deal. He, I know, he's, he's never, he, it's the first time he's been in Airborne. I got to make new stories and stuff. But here's the deal. 
When they're little, I give them crayons to color with. When they're bigger, you give them, like, well, washable markers. When they're bigger, you know, you get to color pencils because those are sharp. They're not going to really stain much, but they're sharp. And when they're even bigger, Sharpies, right? And then it goes on. Like, and, I, and I put it down on the table, and I don't go, I don't just, like, give Maisley a Sharpie because guess what? Okay? That's, listen. That's, listen, that's the wisdom of a father. Am I right? Same deal. Like, Tyler is big and strong and awesome. Now he gets to use my power tools in my garage. Carter and Chandler are not there yet. It's not that I love Tyler more than Carter and Chandler. It's that I get it as a dad. I expose them to what they're capable of in the season of life that they're in so that they can be successful. But when I see Tyler sit down and pull that big old chop, you know, cut through stuff, everything in me as a dad is like, he's doing it, right? You made this whole box thing. No, he's not going to chop his hand off because I taught him well. Right? There's always a risk, but guess what? I am not going to take my five-year-old Chandler out there and put him on the table saw. That, shh, that would be, that would be a foolish father's behavior. Am I right? Listen, shh. But as they grow and as they discover, I get joy out of seeing them advance in their ability to create and to grow into things and learn new things. And it's like God's heart for you is that way. He gives you tools for the season of life you're in. Where are you at right now? You're in school. I know you're like, why does he give me this? Because you can handle it. Look at me. You can handle it, and it can be a very powerful tool if you use it well. Right? If I give Tyler a chainsaw... And just say, hey, go see what you want to do with that. I'll come home to like no fence, no trees, right? That would be bad. But at the same time, if I'm like, hey, Tyler, go trim that tree. And I've taught him and I've walked through like, this makes sense. Got it? Are you with me on this? God is equipping you in the season of life that you're in for what you're in. So stop. Hear me. Stop looking at the person next to you and going, why did they have and I don't? right? Because God gave you what you have, and he didn't give it to them. He might have given them something that he didn't give to you in the moment, in the time. It's because he's a really good father. You won't understand it. Chandler thinks it's totally unfair that he can't use my power tools. Five. He thinks it's outrageous. Why? Why does he think it's outrageous? Because he's comparing to his brother, not with his father. Because if he compared and looked at dad and said, okay, I get it. Dad uses the power tools, and he's telling me I shouldn't. There wouldn't be a problem. But when he looks across at his brother and sees his brother use the power tools, now it's not fair. And we live our entire, right? You, we live our whole teenage lives. And guess what? Adults in the room, does this happen as adults too? The constant temptation to look at the people and go, how did they have a, such a nice car? Literally, 
literally you can see through the bed of my pickup out there because of the rust. And I just go like, why, God? But guess what? It works. And it's what I'm ready for right now. See, look, but the minute you guys start, guess what? God, if you look at God and say, okay, God, do I, should I have a car? Um, no, you shouldn't. I know God, and he's telling me right now you should not have a car, okay? All right? Shh. Are you with me on this? We're not going to belabor this anymore, but listen. Shh. God has put in your hands weapons and tools for the season of life you're in. And he's given you the authority to enact those tools or be an idiot and waste it. So here's the question. Stand up. I'll ask this question standing. I don't know why. It's just more. Your butts are done, right? Okay. Shh. Okay. Shh. Everybody's butt hurts. Stop whining. Okay. Shh. Hey, guys. Put the phone away. Anyway. Shh. Give me this for a second, right? How many of you have ever heard that expression? I don't, I'm not even going to waste my breath on you. Right? Why would you say such a thing? Shh. Why? Oh, right. So I bet. So I, yeah, I think my mom probably said that to me too. Like, what? Well, I'm not going to waste my breath on you. Has that ever happened to anybody? Ever been told that? Or you've at least heard, right? I'm not even wasting my breath on you right now. Right? Shh. Listen. God didn't spare God didn't spare his breath when he created you. Don't let it be wasted either. Because that's been given into your hands to rule, to reign, and to take dominion in the earth that you live in today. Not when you're big and old and grown up. Today, you have authority in the world you live in because you have the breath of the Almighty God breathed into your lungs like no other creature on the planet has. So start living like rulers, like kings and queens in your world, making wise decisions that look at the outlook of the rest of your life and the people around you and start saving up for your kids. I'm not telling you to plan your kids out right now, but listen, start doing what David did and saving up for what God might do in your kids and stop making it all about you and your needs. David wasn't concerned about putting his name on a temple. He was concerned about building a temple for God, and God honored him and made his life wicked amazing. God will always, always come through for you when you put it, when you put your eyes and your focus on him. The minute you get stuck focusing on you, you screw it up because you miss God's great and glorious plan for your life trying to figure out the best way to make yours best. And you'll destroy the people around you because you end up being selfish and it hurts everybody around you. Keep your eyes on God. You'll be a blessing to every person you come across. It's the truth. You become a blessing. Charles spoke on it a couple weeks. You're blessed to be a blessing to the people around you. And God doesn't leave you going like, oh man, I didn't get my name on the temple. David got to be the man after God's own heart. Solomon didn't get that. He got his name on a temple. Do you see? But that's cool both ways as long as you don't compare with the person standing next to you. 
So you're all going back to school in the next week, or you already have. Okay? Shh. You're all going back to school. Okay? Right? Wherever you're at, I don't care if it's cyber school, home school, Christian school, public school, whatever school you go to, don't, it's, it's private school. It counts. Okay? Wherever you go and whatever you do, be a blessing to the people around you because your eyes are fixed. And stop comparing yourself to the rich kid, the poor kid, the good-looking kid, the skinny kid, the fat kid, the whatever. No, I'm dead serious. Because this is the trap the devil will put you in. Because the minute you compare, you say, God, this is unfair. And you disconnect from the pipeline of blessing he wants to pour into your life. Not the person next to you. They get their pipeline of blessing from God on their terms and their relationship with God. You get yours, so stop worrying about your partner, person next to you. Your neighbor, okay? Love people. I'm not saying, like, ignore everyone. That would be weird. You've got, but naturally, you're going to love people when your eyes are fixed on the God who made you, loved you, and wired you for it. So put your hands up. And just say, God, I don't even know how to make this all happen. Because Ben doesn't either. Hey, how about that? But God, I choose to pursue you and look at you and watch for you to move in my life. And God, thank you for the opportunity to have authority in my world. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast was recorded live at a Wednesday night youth meeting. To find out more, check us out on Facebook and Instagram by searching Airborne Youth.